Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 89. Cranston and the Empire. Remember, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, one of the best ways of doing that is to buy our book, A History of the United States, Volume 1, A New World, 1606 to 1676. It's available on Amazon, it covers the topics we went through in episodes 1 through 60, and is a great refresher as we come back to the Northern Colonies. In our last episode, we introduced Samuel Cranston into the narrative. Cranston was a hugely influential figure in colonial America, and he would serve as governor of Rhode Island for 30 years. Indeed, this would be the longest anyone would serve as governor of an American colony or state. The first thing he had to deal with was Rhode Island's place in the wider imperial system. While trying to design a system to secure the region, England looked to Massachusetts. This made sense to the detached English, but it was something fiercely opposed by those in Rhode Island. The mother country had done nothing to help during King Philip's War, and now expected Rhode Island to provide troops to Massachusetts without anything provided to mitigate the cost, such as naval support. Such a plan was politically impossible. It would arouse too much hostility to the government in Rhode Island, and would appear to endanger the religious freedom they were so determined to keep. It could also weaken Newport's attempt to become a commercial base. This was something we discussed at length. Cranston did most of what was asked by imperial officials, but opposed any change to the government. It was an extremely dangerous balancing act. For example, soldiers were sent by Rhode Island to help in imperial wars, but the validity of an outsider being appointed to command this militia was opposed. London appointed an admiralty judge, which was accepted, but it also stated that this did not affect their own right to appoint magistrates to the colony. Cranston addressed complaints against Rhode Island, while at the same time denying that the complaints had any weight. Cranston changed much that was happening in Rhode Island, all while not changing the fundamental genetic makeup of the administration. It was a fine line, but an important one. Queen Anne's War, which was the North American theatre of the War of the Spanish Succession, saw the British colonies fight New France and New Spain. Rhode Island was happy to provide troops which could be commanded by an outsider, but only as long as the commander in question did not insist that he had the authority to take over the militia. They were happy to concede the end product of such demands, as long as it was made clear that they were doing this because they wanted to, not because the English could force them. The effect of this on Rhode Island's reputation was significant. Rhode Island had long been the black sheep of the English colonies. It was viewed with a lot of suspicion, particularly with people claiming that it was disloyal. This was the main criticism by the opposition to Cranston within the colony, 
and the criticism by the other colonies back in London. However, when it became clear that Rhode Island was happy to provide troops to fight the war against the French, it seemed the country was experiencing a surge of patriotism. Cranston reported to London in 1708 that the men of the colony were ready, quote, upon any alarm or other expedition or service to repair their ensigns at their respective places of rendezvous, to attend such orders as they shall receive from their superior officers, etc. The which obligations and orders are upon all occasions very cheerfully and readily obeyed and complied with. End quote. He also boasted on the amount of ammunition each man was able to provide, which was a convenient way of getting around the fact that many within the colony refused to fight because they were pacifists. In short, Cranston reported that Rhode Island was able to defend the coastline of the towns against raiding parties. It would do this very loyally, but this was all Rhode Island could do. The next year, 1709, Rhode Island then went beyond this and enthusiastically supported a proposed invasion of Canada, for which Rhode Island provided four times its quota. The colony was also enthusiastic with privateering and naval warfare. We'll come back to this as we deal with other colonies, but the attacks against Rhode Island were also being made against other colonies, particularly Pennsylvania and Connecticut. This was a campaign being waged by the Board of Trade, but by 1707 the key figures involved had all been dismissed, and the campaign wound down. Cranston had survived the assault on Rhode Island sovereignty, and won much credit for it, both in England and in Rhode Island. It had been a difficult task, and he had accomplished it in wartime while making huge changes to the administration of the colony. These included giving the General Assembly powers of taxation to compile and update the laws and bring order to the colony. There were quarrels over town boundaries, land and property rights. Some fixes to the tax situation were straightforward, such as reviving a liquor tax and introducing a duty on slaves and port fees. But some fights, such as over property taxes, were much more complicated, mostly because the towns didn't collect them. The assembly imposed its authority, and by 1704 the situation was working fairly well. Or should I say it would be working fairly well were it not for Queen Anne's War. The war put a strain on finances that led first to the colony relying on credit, and then later by introducing paper money. The legal situation, which was a complete mess, was solved by a series of committees which resulted in a first compilation of the laws which was published in 1719. Most major land disputes were resolved, a campaign led by Cranston, who broke up common land into lots which were then given to individuals. He also resolved border disputes between towns which led to the development of the hinterland as cultivation spread, all of which, in turn, helped the commercial base of Newport. I cannot emphasise enough 
how much Rhode Island benefited and grew in these years. By 1700, the colony had a population of 7,000, of which about 2,500 were on Aquidneck Island. By 1750, the population had risen to 36,000. The colony had become internally unified, and it now had a functioning government. Newport was a commercial powerhouse. It was not a perfect situation. Cranston couldn't reform the colony all by himself, and when he died in 1727, there was still much of his task to be done. But, at the same time, it is undeniable how much progress had been made. The Rhode Island that came out of the Cranston administration was very different to the Rhode Island that began it. While pacifism was still a strong element, it had become a much more material and patriotic colony. Men were eager for the glory that came in fighting the king's wars. Privateering became a boom industry, as Spanish ships were indeed a tempting prize. This initial enthusiasm, which greeted the outbreak of the War of the Austrian Succession when Britain fought the Spanish in the North American theatre, known as the War of Jenkins' Ear, dampened once the Spanish started inflicting losses on Rhode Island privateers. When the French entered the conflict, and King George's War started against the French in 1744, the enthusiasm returned. In 1744, fully one-sixth of the ships in Newport were privateers. Political life became hyper-partisan, and new laws were introduced to stop fraud in elections, although this too waned as the war came to a close. But the peace didn't last long. By the mid-1750s, Britain was once again at war with France. This was the Seven Years' War, which means it is now time to stop the narrative of the colony. Now, when I started work on this episode, I wasn't expecting it to go much beyond 1705, so it was a real surprise to me that we managed to reach the mid-1750s, hence this episode being rather short. But we did manage to cover a lot in it, and hopefully that will make up a little bit. While Rhode Island does have a rich history, I found that many of the topics that came up in my research for the episode are better suited to the big picture narrative that will begin once we start the Seven Years' War and the Rhodes Revolution. For example, Rhode Island's economic policies and how they relate to the Navigation Acts. That is big picture stuff. So I can see this happening a bit more often and that some of our um, future voyages like through the history of these colonies will start being sped up, and rather than spending five or ten episodes taking a colony through to 1750, it might only take one or two. But uh, that's all for the future. And uh, with that, we'll end the episode. So I'll see you next time when we head over to New York. Thanks for listening. See you then. (laughs) 